I want to tell you before I get started, um, I want to give you a little disclaimer for the evening. Um, what I'm going to do basically for the first part of this is walk um, you through the story of Martha. But, but I'm going to take some some sanctified liberties, perhaps. <laughs> um, you know, if some emotions, possibly um, things that Martha would have said, they aren't necessarily in the Bible, but I want you to just imagine with me the story of Martha and the feelings that she went through. So if you want to follow along, I'll be following the story of John 11, but I just want you to know that um, if, if Martha's like yelling at Jesus, it's not really in the Bible. We're just like living into how she might have felt. Okay. Are we good with that? All right. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for... Um, This evening, I thank you for this space. I thank you that um, we can still have hope in you and not just hope um, in eternity, but hope right now, Lord. Lord, set me aside so that these women see nothing but you and your glory and your love. Amen. So again, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Martha. Um, I like to be busy all the time. I am an Enneagram type three. I like things in a certain order, and let me just show you how well I can put them in order. That's what I do. Um, You may have heard of my sister Mary. Some people call her the good sister. Um, Mary loves to just sit with Jesus personally. Um, I, I can't handle it because she is such a a rule breaker. And doesn't she know that like we have these roles and rules and we live in this first century, Mary. And so I just always kind of thought of Mary as extra, you know, she just, she's extra spiritual. She's extra emotional. She's just all about being extra. You know, one time it was such an extra thing for Mary. My, my parents gave her this perfume and it, oh my gosh, it smelled divine. It was everything which meant it was expensive. And Mary took that perfume and she poured it on, on Jesus' feet. And then she used her hair to wipe up his feet. You know, that's not really what a rule follower, a type three like me would do. But you know, that, that's what Mary did. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Mary. She's cool. She's my sister. We're friends. But but really, what the reason I'm here is I want to tell you this story about, about Jesus. And you know, I don't, I don't blame Mary for what she did because I, I love, I love Jesus. I love talking to him and being with him and there is nothing better. But we live in the first century, Miss Mary, and don't you think there is bread to be baked? Am I right? Can't we all just like lift a finger and do this together? But you know, I want to tell you this story about Jesus because I sat with him and, and, we, and we had this conversation and, and the problem was Jesus, Jesus left me with lots of questions. I had this incident with him and so I wanted to, but to tell you about this incident because I think that you might have perhaps had the same questions that, that I did. And I mean, everything, well, let me just start from the beginning, Okay. So Mary and I, we were in the city with our brother Lazarus, and Lazarus, y'all would love him. He is so fantastic. He is a hoot. And we were having the best time, and we were hanging out, but then Lazarus started not, I mean, he didn't, 
he started not feeling well. And in his eyes kind of, they looked hollow and they began to sink back. And, and the, the longer the day went on, his eyes just started to accentuate this great pallor of his face. And, and so we went home and, and Lazarus laid down and, and he didn't feel well. And well, after a couple of days, he was still laying down and he wasn't getting better and he, he was getting worse. And, and I'll tell you, we were a little concerned because if he's not getting better, then I mean, he's really sick, and, and this could maybe mean that he is, is fatally ill. And, and I'll tell you, that, that scared me and Mary. And so I also told you we're friends with Jesus, right? And Jesus, we have a close relationship with Jesus. And, and the Jesus we know does miracles, and um, he's the Messiah, and he's really close with my brother, Lazarus. And so we did not hesitate to contact a messenger and have a messenger go out and find Jesus and tell Jesus that Lazarus was so ill and that it was possible that Lazarus was going to die. And so the, the, the runner went and, and he came back and so I waited. And, you know, Mary and I took turns what, you know, one of us would stand by the window and watch for Jesus and the other would, would sit with Lazarus and take care of him. But, but after a while, neither, neither Lazarus got better, nor did, nor did Jesus show up. And I mean, that's not like Jesus to not show up. And so I thought maybe I should ask the messenger about this. So I went to the messenger and I was like, so, um, are you sure you told him everything? I mean, did you tell Jesus how serious this was. And I guess I'd begin to annoy the messenger because he took my hands in his, and he looked at me and he said, Martha, I told him, Martha, I told him that, that Lazarus was ill and possibly dying. But Martha, after I told him, he said, this is the illness that does not lead to death. And he turned around and started teaching again. And, and so I left. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? He just, Jesus just turned around and started teaching? <laughs> but this is Lazarus. And so I was completely dumbfounded. I mean, if he loved Lazarus like he said he did, then, then why, why did Jesus delay? I mean, have, haven't you ever felt that way? When something is, is going on and you have called out to God and you have called out and you have called out and you're like, what was the holdup, God? And actually, you don't have to answer that because I know you. Y'all are humans. I know human nature. And I know that what we do as humans is we, we put our, our expectations on, on God. And, and I had this expectation of, of how he was supposed to respond in, in my situation and he wasn't responding in that situation. But you see, this was different because this illness, this illness came on fast and it came on hard and it was serious. And anything this serious is also so violent. And if you have ever seen someone with a violent, serious illness, you know what it's like. You, you know what it's like when, you're, when your loved one it's just they're ill and you can't do anything about it. That Lazarus began to lose his dignity. <clears throat> the smells of him dying. The sounds were burned in our memory. And there was nothing we could do to help Lazarus. 
And I, I stood at the window and I watched and I waited and I, and I tried not to doubt my friend, my Lord, but where was he? Why was Jesus a no-show when I had called out so desperately to him? And then my dear brother, he went to sleep. He went to sleep and he did not wake up and my brother had died and Jesus did not come. And I began to wonder, does Jesus really love us? And on the fourth day after Lazarus had died, guess who rolls into town? Here comes Jesus straight out of Bethlehem, straight out of Jerusalem with all his disciples following him. And he, he rolls up and, and I see him coming and I'm just like, oh no. I am angry. I am upset. Jesus, where were you? And so I... You know, I, I am the rule follower of the family. I, I understand that I have a place in the home as a woman and, and I know what I'm supposed to do. But right now, I, I'm, I am over that. I am having none of this because I'm going to head out there because Jesus and I, we, we're going to talk. We're going to go round and round. And here's Mary. Oh, guess who stays in the house and obeys the rules? Real convenient, Mary, for you to start obeying the rules this time. I'll be the brave one. And so I walk out to Jesus and I say, my Lord, my brother has died. Jesus, where, where were you? Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. This is on you. This is your fault. Where were you, Jesus? Where were you? My brother has died. And it took everything I had to say this to him. And, and after I said this, I just, I just collapsed. And I, I didn't know what to do and what to feel. Because you see, I, I was raised in the synagogue. I, I read the scriptures. I, I knew that Jesus was, was the Messiah, the Son of God. I, I knew that he was the one and, and that it is... It's not right for me to talk this way to him. It's not right for me to say these things to him, but, but I was upset. And I was confused. And I knew that the only thing I could cling to was truth. And so I, I went back to Jesus and I stood up and I said, my Lord, my brother would not have died if you would have been here. But even now, I know that whatever we ask of God, God will give us. Right, like we do that, don't we? Like, I'm really angry, but I'm going to say this truth so that maybe I'll start believing it. And so I started saying that to myself in my head. I said it out loud so Jesus would hear, so that maybe he would believe that I believed it and that I was spiritual enough to know what was going on here. But instead, I felt like my, my cousin's bumper sticker on his car, you know, the one that says, like, God is my co-pilot. I felt like that's what I was asking Jesus. There was just this platitude. But okay, I'm going to cling to this truth. I'm, you know, maybe I'll just fake it till I make it. Maybe until I start believing it. And so the next truth I knew 
was what had been prophesied about the future. And so, and so I said, Jesus, here's the deal. I know that I will see Lazarus because, because it says that Lazarus will be, will be raised from the dead. And, and I believe that. So um, that's what I said to him, hoping that I would begin to believe those words in my heart. And, and y'all, this is where it gets weird. Because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus looked at me and he said that he was the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Y'all, Jesus talked in code all the time and I didn't understand what he was saying. (laughs) I mean, my brother believed in him, but my brother just died. But it says, whoever believes in him shall not die. But the way Jesus said it, the way he said it, he was saying it like, like he was maybe the solution to the problem. Like, like somehow, you know, I had this problem in my past of Lazarus dying, and he was saying like, like he could fix that. And he was saying it like, you know, when I gave him my, my religious platitudes when I, when I just said what truth I could say just to not collapse. It was like he could handle that. And then when, when the only hope I had left was what was going to happen in the future, it, he, could, he could take that too. And so what he did is he took that past problem and my future hope, and it's like he crushed them into the present and collided them and, and started talking about this new perspective. And And I think what he was saying is that he, at that moment, was the future hope of the resurrection. But at that moment, but what does that even mean? And so while I was still processing this, Jesus Jesus went over and, and talked to Mary. And I'm sure you know Jesus was with Mary and, and then Jesus wept. <laughs> They stood over there together, and, and I was still trying to process and, and collect myself. And, and I look up, and Jesus is walking over to the tomb where Lazarus was, and he said for them to roll the stone away. Um, Jesus, it seems a little insensitive. I just told you that I was upset that my brother had died, and, and he has been dead for four days. And Lord, do you know what it is going to smell like when they roll that stone away? Lord, don't you remember that, that Mary and I endured the smell of him dying, and the moment that stone opens, we're going we're gonna to be right back in that? Jesus, why would you do this to us? And Jesus, um, Jesus began praying, He began talking to God, his heavenly father, and and then he turned and he said, Lazarus, come out. And y'all, Lazarus came out. Lazarus came out. My brother was alive. There there was no smell. All those feelings and emotions that I had had, all those accusations that I had made against Jesus, 
They were gone immediately because my brother Lazarus was alive. <laughs> he, was, he was covered in linen and he looked totally weird, but he was alive and he was with us. <laughs> and you see, when I saw my brother, it began to dawn on me what Jesus meant. All of that hope that we placed in the future resurrection was being realized at that very moment. Jesus brought the hope of the future into the present and he brought my fears and doubts and anger of the past into the present and, and those could only come together because of Jesus. And only then did I realize why he was calling himself huh, the resurrection. And it was an incredible moment for me to realize that. But I want you to know, not everything was realized for me at that moment. You see, there was so much more to come. Now, I don't know about you, but um, you might be feeling the same way some of my friends were feeling. And they were all like, this is cool for you, Martha. I'm glad that your brother was raised to life. I'm glad you have hope, Martha, but what about the rest of us? Is this hope for us too? Have you ever asked God that when we see these other people in victory, when we see them experiencing things, we're like, God, is this hope for me? Because it doesn't feel like it's for me. I'll tell you. It's for you. I'll tell you what I told them. You see, all along, Jesus had been telling his disciples that he would die and he would rise again after three days. And they didn't understand what that meant. And not only did they not understand, when Jesus was crucified, they were completely crushed. They betrayed him. They denied him. They doubted that Jesus really was the son of God. Because you see, as Jewish people who studied the scriptures, we expected that the Messiah would come and he would rise to political power and he would put all his good friends like me in his cabinet and the world would get better and change and that everything would be great. But then he died. <laughs> How could this be our Messiah? And we thought that was it. And, and I, I wasn't with the disciples, but their frustration was well known around the land. You know, they had these expectations for what Jesus was going to be like. And, well, I mean, let's just call it what it is. They had an agenda for what Jesus was going to be like. You know, just like you and me, this, this agenda of when we spec, expect Jesus to show up, the way we expect God to do things in our lives. The one, two, three check marks that haven't been checked off yet. But you see, the disciples had put their hope in Jesus. And when they expected power and victory, he, he was hung on a cross. But guess what happened? After three days... <laughs> Jesus rose again. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was resurrected. And you know what? You know, my brother, Lazarus, I mean, he was raised from the dead, but, but Lazarus lived on and, and Lazarus eventually died again. But Jesus, huh, 
Jesus doesn't die. Did, did you know Jesus is alive? And this changes everything. It changes everything. So let me step aside from Martha and let me ask you a question. What do you believe? I'm guessing that because we are all in this room together, we believe that Jesus took our sins upon himself, that he took them to the cross. He was crucified. He died. He was dead and buried. And three days later, he was resurrected to life. And through his death and resurrection, we were reconciled into relationship with God. Great. So now what? You see, like Martha, I'm, I don't know about you, but what, but what I have done for a long time is, is put my hope in the future. You know, we, um, when we face loss or suffering and it doesn't make sense, sometimes we, we say we believe. We, we post our bumper stickers. I mean, now our bumper stickers are on Instagram and Facebook, but we say those things to make ourselves feel better and maybe everybody else will believe what we believe or they'll, they'll believe that we believe or we post those things. We say we believe them, but, but then we think that salvation is something for the future so we can go live with God. We think that the resurrection is, is something in the future so that we can spend eternity with God. But here's the big question. What about now? How does the resurrection mean anything to you now? How does it change things? You know, Jesus said to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He did not say, I was the resurrection and the life. He did not say, I will be the resurrection and the life in the future. He said, I am the resurrection and the life right now. So what in this room, women at IBC, sitting in the comments on a Tuesday night, does the resurrection change things for right now at 8.08 p.m.? How does it change things? We're going to talk about two things. What hope does it bring and how does that change things? So first, what hope does it bring? You see, unlike Martha, who could really only look forward to the resurrection of Jesus, we have an opportunity to look back and see what has happened. We have hope realized. In Hebrews 11, it's a chapter that's often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame because the whole chapter is spent listing people of incredible faith. And at the very end of chapter 11, it has these two verses, Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40. It says, in all these, so all these people that had this incredible faith of Abraham and Noah and Moses and, and Rahab and Gideon, all these people. So all of these people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. Ladies, we are us. Something better was provided for us that we can see the resurrection. And all of these great leaders of faith, they did not get to look back and see the hope of the resurrection. And yet they had this incredible faith. 
They lived by that faith every day. And so that, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel like a weekly crybaby. <laughs> you know, like they didn't even have this resurrection to look upon, but yet they were these incredible people of faith. And, but you know what? That shouldn't discourage us because it's still the same God and the same Jesus and the same spirit and the same faith that we all have. Our lives are bigger and our resources are better. And ladies, we have, we have the word of God that Jesus was raised from the dead and what greater hope we can have. So what hope does the resurrection bring? Number one, that death is not the end. You know, I think this is something we're all familiar with. And, and what the early Christians and the, the Jews knew was that death was not the end, that there would be a resurrection of all believers. In your study this week, you read in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that over and over and over, it says that we will be made alive in Christ, that our, our bodies will be will go from perishable to imperishable, that, that we will lose our mortality and gain immortality and that we will be united with God for eternity. And so number one, death is not the end. Number two, evil has been defeated. You know, the thing about evil is it can't just be wished away with a bunch of good things that happen. You know, even when Jesus was on the earth and he was doing miracles and he was feeding and healing and completely changing the world, evil still existed. And there's no greater good than Jesus. And so how do we, how was evil defeated? I want you to think of it this way. It's kind of like um, if you've seen the Avengers movies or Justice League or, you know, Star Wars, there's always a bad guy, right? <laughs> and the bad guy's in power. And they don't just have to kill the bad guy. He has a source of power. What they have to do is they have to remove the source of power for the bad guy to be conquered. And so if you think of these bad guys, um, <laughs> I, I, I actually had this really long Beautiful quote from N.T. Wright, but it was really academic and hard to understand. So I'm just going to tell you there are some bad guys. <laughs> so these bad guys in the world. And, and when people try to hurt us, they, you know, the worst thing that can happen to us is death. And so we're threatened with death. The bad guys use death as a weapon, as one of their weapons to defeat people. And then there are, there are other bad guys in the world who, who use power and wealth. They're, they're the ones who are in control. And so they threaten evil. And so their source of power is also death because what, what they can threaten is, is the worst thing. And so they use their power to control people with the threat of death. And so you see here that you, you have this bad guy. <laughs> I need another name for that. What? Villain. villain. You have a villain. Who has this power. He holds death as his power. And Jesus comes along. And Jesus says, crucify me. And three days later, he's resurrected. Death could not hold him. Oh, death, where is your sting? The villain's power has been removed and taken down. 
You see, evil has been defeated. Now, I think a lot of you would say that there's still evil in this world. That it hasn't gone away. That, that we know God doesn't cause evil. We know that he doesn't cause these bad things to happen so we can be tested. It's not what God does. God is a good God. And so when we're confused about suffering and the evil and the bad things that still happen, when we have questions, we have to stand on what we know is true. And that is that we have a good God who cares for us and loves us. And so evil has been defeated. We can trust God. And because we can trust him, number three, perseverance is possible. So the new creation was launched with the resurrection of Jesus. And that's kind of this huge, crazy idea that I'm going to let Jody tackle in a couple of lessons. <laughs> but what that means is that when Jesus was resurrected, the ushering in of the new creation began right then. Because when Jesus was resurrected, we were reconciled in our relationship with God and change began to happen right then. And because of that, because we were reconciled, we have this new hope and we can have this new perseverance. And so what that means is when we suffer, suffering can put on this, this new cloak. It can have this new name. And Tim Keller says it even better. Let's look at this quote. He says, suffering is so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. But the resurrection means we can look forward with hope to the day our suffering will be gone. But even means that we can look forward with hope to the day our suffering will be glorious. You see, Jesus is showing the disciples when he, when Jesus comes again and he shows them his scars, Jesus is showing the disciples that in his resurrected body, his scars are still there. And now they understand the scars because the sight and the memory of them will increase the glory and joy the rest of their lives. Remembering the scars of Jesus will help many of them endure their own crucifixions. Maybe remembering the scars of Jesus will help you endure your own crucifixions. You see, the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. This is not something that we dip our toes in. Speaking of dipping our toes in, it was about 72 hours ago that I got home from an incredible 10th anniversary trip to New Zealand. And we got to go caving in New Zealand. And so we, um, we went into this cave and we were about 150 feet underneath the ground. And um, y'all, it's cold under there. And so we had to wear wetsuits and everything. Um, there's me with my husband, Joel, of 10 years. Um, and so we're underground, but to get there, the first thing we had to do was to repel a hundred feet down. And so I, I learned how to repel on this trip. And so I was repelling down, about to go through this tiny hole. And then you get through the bottom and, and then you walk a few more feet down this little pathway and they hook you up to a zip line and turn off all the lights, which basically is your headlamp. And he pulled me back and pushed me down and I ziplined in the dark until someone caught me. I have no idea, but someone did. And, um, 
And as you can see, they put me in a black boot and a white boot, and I don't know why, but don't you think I was rocking it? Um, so you zip line down, and, and by this time, we're about 130 feet underneath the ground. And we're, you know, looking at the cave, and it looks amazing, and it's beautiful, and there's glowworms, and it's incredible. But then um, the guide, he hands me an inner tube, and he says, all right, I want you to come stand on the edge of this rock. Look down there. There's water. There no, was water. But he said there was water. And he said, what I want you to do is just hold that inner tube on your bottom. Just take one step out. Just kick your feet up and fall. Okay. And he's like, don't look down. Just look up here at the rocks. Okay. Joel, you go first. <laughs> And so Joel was a good sport, and Joel went first, and big splash, and then it was my turn. And so he counted. He said, ready, one, two, and I was like, nope. <laughs> I paid for this. I will count. <laughs> I stepped back up, and I put that around me, and I counted one, two, three, and I kicked my legs up, and I, I looked up, and I fell 20 feet into the dark, freezing cold water, and that is me in midair. <laughs> And it was amazing. But what happened is when I hit the water, um, water went everywhere. I mean, I went completely underneath the water. I was completely immersed. There was no doubt in my mind that I was 150 feet under the ground in freezing cold water and in a wetsuit that was really wet and cold. But there was no doubt in my mind. And that is not the place that I wanted to just put my toe in because if I would have just put my toe in and saw how cold it was, I would have never jumped. But you see, ladies, when we start realizing the resurrection, we don't want to just put our toes in. You see, we want to jump in because the moment we jump in, the moment we kick our legs up, everything changes. You see, the resurrection isn't for 10 years, 20 years, tomorrow. The resurrection is for 8.20 p.m. It's for right now. And so three things. How does it change things? I want to give you some practical applications right now of how the resurrection changes things. Let's go ahead and put all of the first three. We are agents of reconciliation. We are stewards of creation. And we are lives of transformation Ladies, because we have been reconciled with Christ, because we now have a new relationship with God, all of our relationships from God to the world to others has been completely reconciled. And so we can be reconcilers. On Saturday, women gathered, women who had lost babies, and they made a note on a box that said, in honor of Isaiah, who had died. They gave up death so that someone else could experience resurrection. You see, we are ministers of reconciliation. Number two, we are stewards of creation. You see, we're not just reconcilers with people. We are reconcilers with this earth. And you see, from Genesis 1 onward, we are given the mandate of looking after creation, of bringing order to God's world, of establishing and maintaining communities. And you see, salvation, salvation is not just for me. 
Salvation is for me so that I can go out and reconcile. You see, if we keep salvation to ourselves, it's like giving a a kid a bat and saying, go play baseball by yourself. It won't work. The thing is, salvation, we are given salvation. We are given hope of the resurrection so that we can go out and reconcile ourselves. It's not just for us. It's not just for the future. It is for now. And third, we are lives of transformation. You see, as we go about as ministers of reconciliation and and stewards of creation, our hearts become changed because we see the hope realized right in front of us. And we become transformed. You see, the whole point of what Jesus was doing close up in the present. The whole, the whole point of him pointing to the future was so that you would understand what he was doing right now in the present. And you say, Amy, but yeah, there's still brokenness in the world. There's still evil in the world. There's still despair and, and downtrodden and abuse. And yeah, there is. So we better get busy. We are the ministers of reconciliation. If not us, then who? The hope of the resurrection is for now. We're not holding out for eternity right now. We are to actively rescue people from the corruption and decay of the world. Because when we do that, that is bringing people together. That is reconciling the world, reconciling creation and making right the relationships from God the world to others. And because of that reconciliation, this is cause for celebration. And we call this celebration Easter. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that um, you bring us hope. Thank you that your resurrection changes everything. And we don't have to wait for something to happen. God, it's right now. Thank you.